Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on 21st of September 2012. Newcomers, as always, help yourself to the audios at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. There's lots to choose from. I go through the history, past to the present, to show you you're living through a script, basically. And uh, it's a script to do with big banking institutions formed a long time ago, which formed their big foundations as fronts to be a parallel government, to basically give you the appearance of democracy from your own government, which they put in, where in reality their own parallel government was running the show. Still is the same today. And we'll touch on that tonight too. And really, you're going through a long-term agenda, like a big, long-term business plan. And that's how the world is run. It's been run that way for an awful, awful long time. Reality is the hardest thing to get uh, hold of. Truth is almost impossible. And uh, even today, with your constant media barrage of data, 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 you have to understand that the past to be able to work through the data they're giving you and all the spins they're giving you, because they condition you day by day for what's to come. So you'll accept the nasty things that are coming down the pike in the future. That's how the world is truly run by neuroscientists, psychologists, and, and big think tanks that work on you full time, thousands of them, thousands of think tanks. And there's very little in your head that's actually yours. You think it's yours, but it's all been programmed into you, uh, mainly through fiction, by the way, when you're young, and even when you're older, too. And all movies about war, armies, military, uh, about hospitals and, and wonderful doctors helping you in dramas, all this stuff, it's all propaganda. Always has been propaganda. Old system, old techniques, simply updated and, and of course there's so much, so much churned out like never before. Help yourself, as I say, to the website, gettingthreemates.com. Number two, from the US to Canada, you can help me keep going by buying the books and discs on the sites because I don't bring on advertisers as guests or ex-CIA guys, ex-FBI. Or I don't believe there's any ex-anything out there. I really don't. Because after all, even in Patriot Radio, do you really think they missed opportunity to take over all media? Of course, of course they haven't. And of course, if you start off with smart with your intentions are, you will be infiltrated on in every level, including talk radio. It's bad enough that they put articles out about all the different um, chat rooms you've got there and how they're all either put out by the big boys or they send the guys in immediately to take it over and disrupt you and get you off in different directions. Old, old stuff. It's a war, you see. A war upon a few on the rest of you uh, to dominate you completely, complete domination. And when you have domination of the mind, it's all over. So you can help me to save up buying books and discs at cutting3meters.com. From the U.S. to Canada, you can still use personal checks or international postal money orders. You can use PayPal or send cash. 
Cross the world, get Western Union MoneyGram and PayPal once again. Straight donations are awfully, awfully welcome because, as I say, I don't sell anything else. I don't sell products to save your lives, make you live forever or any of that stuff. I simply give you the hard facts. And a lot of folk can't handle hard facts. I understand that. But there's no easy way to break people in these days because there's no time whatsoever. You're going through the biggest changes in history. Many years ago, I remember reading articles from the Rockefeller Boys and their foundations and other big think tanks too, which they control, just saying that the, the change they were bringing in for this new world order was the biggest change, which completely upset society with mass migrations and various other things of peoples across the world, bigger than, than the Industrial Revolution, which literally put out you know, 93% of the public off the land into the factory cities. That was a massive thing at the time, to suit their businesses, you see. Now it's the same about business, but it's now moving people by herds of people across the whole planet and bringing multiculturalism, so there's no culture at all, except what they give you, to suit themselves. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt, we're cutting through the matrix. And it truly is a matrix because you're given a fake reality. Every generation is, and by generation today, I don't mean 70 years or so, they took it down to a very few years. Even every two or three years, people going into kindergarten, young children, are being updated with and indoctrinated with the changes which they will experience in their lifetimes growing up. Has to be done early at that stage. That then is familiar to them, and it seems quite natural. So, literally, year by year, they can update the people going through, just like bricks in a wall, like Pink Floyd said. And then that's how how precise it is today. And it's a perfect science. It was made a long time ago. Lord Bertrand Russell wrote about it in two books. Actually, Roads to Freedom was one. Another one was um, education and good life for a socially controlled society on behalf of the elite, you see. And here's an article here to talk about Mr. Rockefeller and other people. You understand that in the 1800s, families were sent over from Europe, mainly from Germany, because there was a society, an organization, that was dedicated to taking over the world. And it was spread across a good part of Europe. Uh, You had uh, the Vienna School. You had uh, other ones working uh, towards this communist-type governments across the world, all backed by incredibly rich people, all belonging to the same group that already run the capitalist system. And through the, the changes, the conflict of changes, create the changes, create the conflict, they could guide society to the proper direction that they wanted them to go on, which is to suit themselves at the top. After all, they're elite at the top. They know better than all of us how it should be. And they also are eugenicists. They believe there's superior types of people and inferior types of people. They've even championed the causes of democracy, you think, until you find out what kind of democracy they give you, where the general population have no input whatsoever. The so-called silent majority are getting hammered all the time, and the culture wrecked and destroyed by financed special interest groups. The weirdest sorts, too, to to totally disrupt society, uh, because they must follow the same planks of the Communist Manifesto, total destruction of the family unit and all existing cultures. That's why it's been done by the same boys at the top, the guys who are running the world through their central banking systems today. 
and their Bank for International Settlements, all documented, by the way, by their own historians. Because they have their own version of history, the real version of history, including the fact they've been behind all the wars to, to date, even starting uh, in the late 1800s, right through the 1900s, the 20th century, into the present time to get their global agenda through. They own all the media. Uh, they, they own all your TV stations. They make sure that you get the right kind of news, the kind that fits the agenda, and you've got to believe it. They're also create, they are also the boys who own all the publishing houses across the world. And they also own all the publishing companies that do your, your school and university books and textbooks and everything else. Control, total control. Winston Churchill brought this up in Parliament during World War II when he was found out he was out the loop. He talked about a group that literally created history by fomenting wars and, and then they had the audacity to write the, the, the historical perspectives, always omitting their own part in it and starting it and controlling it. Now, here's an article about Rockefeller, one of the many families that were sent over uh, to take over all the wealth of America. Long before you heard of the Cecil Rhodes Foundation and Lord Rothschild, who were also into the same thing, because they're all part of the same group, you see, from the same roots. But it says, Bai Kai Moon to bow his head before John D. Rockefeller Jr. at the UN Geneva office. On September the 10th, this is already over, Secretary General of the United Nations Ban Ki-moon opens a reading room at the United Nations office in Geneva, Switzerland, dedicated to none other than international philanthropists and by the far the most generous beneficiary of 20th century eugenics, Dr. Uh, sorry, John D. Rockefeller Jr. And it says, besides the UN Secretary General, the opening was attended by Director General of the Geneva UN office, Kasim Jomart Tokayev, or Daesh, part, part Japanese, part Russian or something, the U.S. permanent representative to the U.N. Betty King, as well as John D.'s great-grandson, Michael Rockefeller, who was representing the family at the occasion. Commemorating the 85th anniversary of Rockefeller's donations to the League of Nations, the precursor of the United Nations, the invitation states that this exhibi- exhibition highlights the essential role played by the Rockefeller Foundation and the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. Remember what they said in communism, that um, peace was the absence of all opposition when they'd won. So international peace between 1920 and 1945 in the key technical activities of the League of Nations. After the League of Nations had outplayed itself after the rise of Hitler, Rockefeller also funded its being into its successor into being, as you should say here. When Europe was still smoldering after World War II, Rockefeller Jr. donated six blocks of midtown Manhattan near the East River to accommodate the United Nations. His gift was worth $8.5 million. In 1945, this was an unprecedented amount. It was also an, an old kosher slaughterhouse. They've been well sacrificed and blessed, I guess. Describing the late John D. Rockefeller Jr. as a visionary philanthropist. Again, going back to philanthropy, remember it was um, Weishaupt that says that they should create, they will create philanthropic organizations uh, that'll have more power than governments. Anyway, so the website of the United Nations office in Geneva states that the event has been conceived in line with the Secretary General's directive to harness the full power of partnership to strengthen outreach activities and enhance the visibility of Geneva as a center for international cooperation. 
The Reading Room is part of the UN Archival Library, describes itself as part of a strong network of United Nations and UN system libraries that share expertise, best practices and resources, and cooperate to ensure the best quality of products and services for their users. Member 2, just to go into a sideline here, the United Nations, the United Nations has its own uh, the family uh, who works, the families who work in the United Nations, the people who generally marry each other. And there's a massive bureaucracy, bigger than any other government. Massive bureaucracy. And all parts of governments, just like you have bureaucrats for every department that, that deal with you in your country, they have equivalent departments much, much larger that deal with the whole world and those particular departments. And they have their children going to their own United Nations school. So it's intergenerational bureaucrats you have here. And they're not brought up and taught to serve the public. The serve does not enter their vocabulary at all. They dictate to the public. You should hear some of them. Anyway, it says, the Shakespeare's best practice and resource incorporate to ensure the best quality of products and services. Rockefeller contributions to the first League of Nations library had amounted to a then unprecedented amount of $2 million. That's under World War I. When the UN people described Rockefeller as a visionary philanthropist, they're not kidding, the tycoon had funded all major international organizations into being that still call the shots today. Besides countless other funding campaigns, JDR Jr. was responsible for the following disturbing donations. It says, it crucially funded the formation and ongoing expenses of the Council on Foreign Relations. You see, I mentioned before, they're all issued for international affairs, uh, and they wanted a branch in America. They called it the Council on Foreign Relations. This organization that came in from Germany had already taken over Britain, you see, and called itself the Royal Institute for International uh, Affairs. And now they're taking over the states. And already had it because they had all their big philanthropists set, set up in the states to create policy. Anyway, it goes on to say, crudely should fund information on ongoing expenses of the Council on Foreign Relations. And, and, and old Rockefeller was the first uh, uh, head of it, too, by the way, the CFR. Established a Bureau of Social Hygiene in 1913. That was to start killing off the unfit long before Adolf Hitler had heard about it. That's why they funded, this same group funded Hitler, by the way, if you didn't know that. Provided crucial funding for Margaret Sanger. This is a woman who uh, loved Hitler and uh, uh, she, she loved Stalin. And uh, she said that children were weeds and we should simply kill the weeds. Then I call it family planning. It's the same group. So it's a, in her work in birth control clinics and involvement in population issues, that was all uh, abortions and sterilization. In the following eye-opening videos, one from Old Thinker News, the family's involvement in eugenics is being elaborated upon. I'll put a link up tonight at cuttingtweetminutes.com. The newly-to-be-opened reading room attended by none other than the Secretary General of the United Nations can be considered a sick joke by the elite. It also has a cyclical or a cynical aspect to it by providing the family's correspondence for all researchers to investigate. The Rockefellers themselves can always, with a more or less clear conscience, state they're not working in secret. After all, their archives are not open to the public, or aren't they open to the public? The reason that is cynical in all respects is that the elite know that only a handful of people will actually investigate. Just like other archives, such as the Rockefeller archives, researchers can find a lot of in-your-face eugenics confessions that will make your hair stand on end. In, in the July 2012 article, Rockefeller Council demographers subjected American slums to eugenic mind control ops. 
the author quotes directly from the archival material in which we learn of criminal activities by the council and its demographers in the early 1960s. Now, they also funded Cold Springs Harbor eugenics clinics as well, where they brought farmers on board, the American uh, beef industry boys, and they, they talked about breeding people like cattle and just eliminating the unfit. And they, that was a big, big um, push for that at that time. The Leeds archival uh, activities are also spring, being used to de- uh, deflect crimes committed, focusing on petty historical curiosities such as what happened in 2009 when the Financial Times reported on the Rothschild family ties to slave uh, uh, traders. That actually came up with uh, some of the old ledgers in London, and I mentioned it and read it on the air and gave a link up too. It was in, from, from a BBC video. And it says, acting greatly surprised, British investment bank Rothschild in response had said it regretted that the firm is linked in any way to the inhumane institution of slavery. Supposedly big news to them, the ancient Rothschild establishment quickly muttered sounds of indignation after the report appeared in the New World Order's main media outlet, the Financial Times. And some music coming in. I'll carry on with this article when I come back from this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're talking about the big system and those that control the big system that really exists. There, there's no competition at the top on anything. These big boys own pretty well everything. The big organizations, international, all the groups of them, you'll find the main shareholders. And they're actually private. You don't see them being sold off. They're always for private sales. The top shares are owned by a handful of people, all belonging to a club. Anyway, it says, talk about uh, the Rothschilds too. It mentions the fact that they had found ledgers, etc., from in London, and it was documented in a on a, a television uh, expose uh, that they were the one of the biggest slave traders and had all the ships coming in to the Thames, full of slaves on the way to the Americas, and so on and so on. And it says. Um, According to the 2009 FT article, the chief archivist of the Rothschild family papers reacted with disbelief when told of the content of the record, saying she'd never heard be seen such links before. The archivist in question must have either suffered from long-term memory loss or her masters have employed the woman because of her excellent lying skills. Although called a scoop by Lionel Barber in his pick of the week, and all these links are here to the articles, by the way, the family links to slave trade have been thoroughly documented throughout the last decades by numerous independent researchers. But never mind that. The Financial Times nevertheless claims to have broken the story on June the 27th that Nathan Meyer Rothschild benefited financially from slavery. According to the article, records of the National Archives in Britain contain evidence that the family's patriarch made personal gains by using slaves as collateral in banking dealings with the slave owner. And it says, well, yeah, it should come as no surprise for anyone who has even superficially glanced over the annals of Rothschild's history that the family is engaged in slavery, not just with links to slave owners, but they, like all other black nobility, are the slave owners. And they certainly were in the ledgers. It was their own Rothschild ledgers they found out. And that came up. But they've been into this for ages because certain peoples have to have slaves because of their religions. They can't do certain things on certain holy days. So only the others out there of of, uh, different uh, peoples are allowed to do the work for them. 
It says, should we be, be, be generally uh, surprised about the links of slavery from the man who was told, told us, I care not that the puppet is placed on the throne of England to rule the empire. The man that controls Britain's money supply controls the British empire, and I control the money supply. That's what you said. Obviously, Nathan Meyer Rothschild's links to slavery have not been limited just to incidental financial ties to slave owners. The name of Rothschild is synonymous with the very concept of slavery, which the dictionary defines as a form of forced labor in which people are considered to be or treated as a property of others. And that just about covers the entire history of the Red Shield genealogy from its registered beginnings in the 18th century to our current days where the family uses not chains to people in submission, but carbon credits and other global taxation policies. And I would add governments, because they own the governments, in the name of sustainable development. Another definition of slavery is given on the online dictionary. Summing it up, the family practices work pretty well. The state of one bound in servitude as a property of a slaveholder or household. The only difference between slavery practiced by bearded slave masters on creaking coffin ships and the Rothschild family is the scale of the slavery magnified to proportions way beyond normal human understanding. Unless you disregard bounding nations and economic chokeholds as a form of slavery, the Rothschild family is the ultimate slaveholder, exceeding anything a regular slave master could possibly be engaged in. This whole dirty business in which the family excels is reminiscent of the words of Joseph Stalin, the death of one man is a tragedy, the death of millions is a statistic. And isn't that the truth? By focusing on this or that incidental involvement in the slave trade, the Financial Times cleverly shifted the true blame away from the real crime perpetrated by the family, the enslavement of nations by controlling the money supply. This allows for the family to react with feigned repentance over long-forgotten mishaps, while breathing a sigh of relief that carefully contrived plan for world domination remains safely locked inside the family chest of secrets. This wasn't a guy that came up from Rags to Riches, remember. They love the story of Rags to Riches and all the bull which they give out. I mean, the daddy, old, the old daddy, Rothschild, was trained in, uh, in Frankfurt in the best banking schools of his own people, his own people ruled back then. It's a big gang, you see, an organized crime gang that's part of a particular culture. And that's what it is for those that can't figure it out. But you go on and on and on with information because we are the best and most informed slaves that's ever existed. And we accept more, actually, than people did in the past. They have rebellions once in a while. We get the vote and we don't think about rebelling. That's why they gave you it. Now, sock puppets, it's how the government lobbies itself. I've done this before, the different articles on the same, the same particular thing. Most folk don't know that all these big NGOs and foundations, etc., also get money from you, the taxpayer. And they lobby the government. And so government pays them to lobby government. You see? And it's just how it works, how the government lobbies itself and why. It says, new research released today reveals the true extent of government-funded lobbying by charities and pressure groups. The report argues that when government funds the lobbying of itself, it is subverting democracy, that's a joke anyway, and debasing the concept of charity. It is also an unnecessary and wasteful use of taxpayers' money. By skewing the public debate and political process in this way, genuine civil society is being cold-shouldered. It says in the last 15 years, state funding of charities in Britain alone has increased significantly. 27,000 charities are now dependent on the government for more than 75% of their income. 
and the voluntary section, uh, sector receives more money from the state than it receives in voluntary donations. State funding weakens the independence of charities, making them less inclined to criticise government policy. This can create a sock puppet version of civil society, giving the illusion of grassroots support for new legislation. These state-funded activists engage in direct lobbying of politicians and an indirect lobbying of the public using taxpayers' money. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm back cutting through the meetings, talking about so many cons and how the world really works. It works by creating masses of armies of non-governmental organizations. They're, they're started up by the big foundations, again, Rockefellers and many other ones across the world. And they also receive lots of money from the taxpayer to alter the system. To apply to be one of these NGOs, you must go in for uh, and tell the government you're for radical Radical changes in society, radicalization. There used to be all the communist ones, but nobody ever questions why these communist radicalizations, all the destruction of all that was to bring in the new, is being funded by their own governments and these big foundations, and started by the foundations, and also funded by the foundations. And then they lobby governments, and then they tell us that the most important thing in the world is we're all going to hell in the handbasket, with banks crashing, massive inflation, as people who are suffering because of gender conflicts. Yeah. Anyway, it says state-funded charities and NGOs usually campaign for causes which they don't, which don't enjoy widespread support amongst the general public. That's the silent majority that never says anything. Such as foreign aid, temperance, and identity politics. These typically lobby for bigger government, higher taxes, greater regulation, and the creation of new agencies to oversee and enforce new laws. In many cases, they call for increased funding for themselves and their associated departments. And it says urgent action should be taken, including banning government from departments from using taxpayers' money to engage in advertising campaigns, uh, the ab- abolition of unrestricted grants to charities and the creation of a new category of, category of non-profit organization for organizations which receive substantial funds from statutory sources. In other words, they should stop funding them altogether because they're all for radical change. And it's all got one head at the top, doesn't matter what their names are of these NGOs, with one big global plan that just happens to fit in with the big plans of the big international corporations owned by the few again. That's how the world's run. Now, the Rolling Stone magazine had an article too about <laughs> Wall Street and how it never loses. And it says, Wall Street lobbyists are awesome. I'm beginning to begin to develop a grudging respect, not just for the body of work as a whole, but also for their sense of humor. They always go right to the edge of outrageous and then wittily take one baby step beyond it. And it's true that they call it audacity. When knights are bold and all that, they're audacious as well. You've got to be audacious too when you get into the high uh, Masonic societies. It says, and they did so again last night with the passage of a new House Bill, H.R. 2827, which rolls back a portion of the Dodd-Frank designed to protect cities and towns from the next Jefferson County disaster. Jefferson County, Alabama was the first most uh, famous case. The city of Birmingham went bankrupt after being bribed and goaded into taking on billions of dollars of toxic swap deals. But in fact, it was just one of hundreds of similar examples of localities 
been duped into suicidal financial deals by rapacious banks and financial companies. The Denver school system, for instance, got clobbered when it opted for an exotic swap deal pushed by J.P. Morgan Chase, the same villain in Jefferson County, incidentally, and that then-school superintendent, future U.S. Senator Michael Bennett, that ended up costing the school system tens of millions of dollars. As was the case in Jefferson County, the only way out of the deal involved a massive termination fee that might have been even more destructive than the deal itself. To deal with this problem, the Dodd-Frank Act, amongst other things, included a simple reform. It required the financial advisors of municipalities to do two things, register first with the SEC and accept a fiduciary duty to respect the best interests of taxpayers that, that they're advising. Well, that would never happen. Sounds simple, right? But Wall Street couldn't have that. After all, companies are required to have a fiduciary responsibility to cities and towns. How in the world can they screw cities and towns? The idea was a veritable axe blow to the bank's municipal advisory businesses. So what did Wall Street lobbyists and trade groups like the SIFMA, which is the Securities Industry and Financial Markets Association, do? Well, they did what they've been doing to what they've been doing to Dodge Frank generally. The Swiss cheese the law with a string of exemptions. The industry proposal that ended up being HR 2827 created several new loopholes for purveyors of swaps and other such financial products to cities and towns. And here's how the pro-reform group Americans for Financial Freedom or Reform described the loopholes. For example, any advice provided by a broker, dealer, bank, or accountant that is in any way related to or connected with a municipal underwriting would be exempted from the fiduciary requirements. A similar exemption would be created for all advice provided by banks or swap dealers that is in any way related to or connected with the sale to municipalities of financial derivatives, loan participation agreements, deposit products, foreign exchange, or a variety of other financial products. So basically, if you're underwriting a municipal bond for a city or town, and you happen also to give the city or town advice about some deal swap, uh, that will put the city into bankruptcy for the next thousand years. You don't have a fiduciary responsibility to that city or town. The bank's view is that being asked to perform the merely technical function of underwriting a bond is very different from advising someone to take on an exotic swap deal. So if a bank is mainly an underwriter and happens to offhandedly recommend this or that swap deal, it just isn't fair to drop this owner's financial responsibility, this weighty designation of municipal financial advisor on its shoulders. And then it goes on and on, tells you more and more how this works. You understand, the boys who own the banks gave you your legal system. For those who don't know that, they own it. They own it. And they always put in loopholes after these kind of things, in all countries, including Britain, so that the big boys get off with it and, and they can, they're all exempt from it. The very boys it's meant to control end up being exempt from it. And you're stuck. You're not. It's more laws on you, all the little people. That's how it works. Eco-fascists are pushing Agenda 21, uh, megacities to replace growing cities and rural areas, it says. The globalist march towards Agenda 21, Agenda for the 21st century, includes from the United Nations, includes a demonization of population growth and our current urban cities. As if there were, there were a correlation between social upheaval and explosion of urbanization, the propaganda abounds, creating villains out of who fights against uh, eminent domain, the right to live in sprawling rural areas and retain in their farmlands. The United Nations Population Fund calls for a global population reduction by use of family planning, which is code for population stabilization to decrease fertility rates. 
A new study published claims that this is urbanization continues. There'll be a decline of biodiversity and the man-made impact on global warming will increase. Well, they'll never give that one up. Globalist-supported scientists are suggesting that humanity would be better off living in densely populated centres. We don't want them strolling about the entire countryside. We want them to save land for, for nature by living closely together. In other words, packed in. American cities in Virginia, Ohio, Florida, and many others are beginning to invest in what's called controlled environments. That's megacities, where private cars will be banned under Agenda 21, transit centers link high-speed light rail systems, and controls over food distribution, energy use, and water allocation is overseen by governmental agencies and private agencies too, by the way. Because you have to go into the smart cities for the IBM. They're a big part of it. Other efforts by supporters of Agenda 21 are transforming our towns into eco-communities that adhere to UN mandates against production of CO2 to the determinants of freedom and innovation. Karen Sito, lead author and professor of urban environment at the Global's Controlled Yale University, and he has been up to the top, you know, for, for oh, well over a hundred years promoting eugenics as well as way beyond other universities. And it cries against urbanization and migration of people as the ecosystems of the earth are devastated. Sito believes that unless this human popula- population urbanization is stopped by 2030, there will be an increase of 3 to 5% of global land used to house humans. And this is unacceptable because of the hum- huge impact on biodiversity hotspots and on carbon emissions in those urban areas. In July, New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg announced the construction of 275 to 300 foot uh, micro apartments in Kipps Bay in a beta test to coerce New Yorkers into living in tight-knit, purposely dense areas to alter the psychological landscape towards conversional globalist styles. One of the, the notions or the nations on the global elite's destruction list is Asia. China will dominate the need for urbanization as their population advances. Evidence of ego devastation emerges with the lack of city planning and makeshift metropolitan centers which lack proper sewage routes, waste management and water services. Well, you see, the whole plan in Agenda 21 is to put you all into the already overcrowded existing old cities, not the new ones they're building for the elite and have up actually across the planet. And of course, they're not, they're not even fixing the problems with the sewers and all the rest of it too. They let them fall apart. See, you, you've already died off up to the year 2050, all you people out there. That's, that's the plan. Then after that, they'll have a, a depopulated world. They'll, they'll bulldoze what's left of the old cities or maybe bomb them, who knows. Bring out their exotic weaponry and get rid of it all and clean it up. And, uh, and they'll have new kinds of slaves to work for them, you know, purpose-made ones. Genetically modified or cloned, and the world will be their oyster. Not bad, eh? It's good to have plans, you know, things to look forward to. Uh, the drug giants are fined $11 billion in the last three years for criminal wrongdoing, and says fines are not enough to reform the drug industry, warn lawyers. I understand everything is fixed as it is. They say they already own uh, the, the complete um, corporate system, the law system. And um, they always win in the end, at the top. It's one big system you're in. One big system, not competing systems, is one. Sometimes you'll think there's different sides. No, there's not. There's one. One big system working here. And this article two, more sniper ammunition ordered by the DHS. And who are the targets? 
And it says, um, first in agenda is the point two two three rifle ammunition. Just a measly 40 million rounds in the first year, another 160 million rounds in the following four years, and then 200,000 million rounds in total. It says, you know, just enough to make you cringe thinking that some government office that is not military has more ammunition than you do. <laughs> the two two three caliber rounds, it's a decent hunt, hunting round, but that's not the rounds to be concerned about. It says the three oh eight rounds should have you more concerned and quite a bit more concerned. And it tells you why. Why the three oh eight? Because the same folks at the Department of Homeland Security think they need two types of three eight caliber rounds. Blank ammunition for practicing, of course, and 168 great hollow point boat tail ammunition. Boat tail ammunition is something else, folks. The blank ammunition will be spread to five different locations in America, Southeast and Puerto Rico. The regular ammunition will be spread all over the U.S. in a variety of places. And it says, um, the blank ammunition is fantastic for putting on a show because they're always rehearsing, invading, you know, cities and things. Blank ammunition is used in theatrics, but it's also used to help teach new soldiers to develop a trigger and breathing control. Nevertheless, have no fear, the DHS only needs 25,000 blank rounds to develop good sniper skills. Because I've ordered 176,000 rounds of the 3 0 caliber hollow point boat tail rounds. Boat tail ammunition is incredibly accurate ammunition. From the legal opinion from the US Navy, GAG, JAG, they call it in support of using hollow point ammunition, they say. Marksmanship tra- training units have established unequivocally the superior accuracy of the M852, and that's the Sierra Match King 168 grain match grade uh, boat tail, Ogilvy Spitzer type bullet with an open tip. Army tests noted a 36% improvement in accuracy with the M852 at 300 meters and a 32% improvement at 600 yards. Marine Corps figures were 28% accuracy improvement at 300 meters and 20% at 600 yards. The National Guard determined that the M852 provided better bullet groups at 200 and 600 yards under all conditions than did the M118. So it says, well, one of the theories posited by so many commentators is that the extremely large amount of ammunition purchased by DHS, according to the same legal opinion, is because trained soldiers are horrible sharpshooters. Stats from the past war suggest it's a probability figure may be optimistic. In World War II, the U.S. and its allies expended 25,000 rounds of ammunition to kill a single enemy soldier. In the Korean War, ammunition expenditure increased fourfold to 100,000 rounds per soldier to kill someone. In the Vietnam War, that figure has doubled to 200,000 rounds of ammunition for the death of a single enemy soldier. The risk to non-combatants is apparent. They're always doing statistics and so on. Working the math out, that comes to only 7,600 people that DHS wants to kill using the Korean War numbers. What luck, it says. The bad news is, however, all of the sniper-grade ammunition is being used by trained or in the process of being trained uh, snipers. Uh, the same legal opinion found that, in contrast, United States Army and Marine Corps snipers in the Vietnam War expended 1.3 rounds of ammunition for each claimed and verified kill at an average range, uh, range of 600 yards or almost twice the 300 meters sighted above for combat arrangements or engagements by the average soldier. So it goes into all the different statistics. The math comes out to be 135,384 potential kills for the snipers to make using the 176,000 rounds of ammunition. How well does the boat tail ammunition uh, make the sniper? The following recommendations of the Match King ammunition, and it gives you links and links so you can look up yourself. 
and gives you all the stats about it, how it works and so on. But it's, it's far more stable in the air over long ranges and does not go astray. And of course it's tiny, it's got a very small hollow point that really expands when it hits its target. Now, Russia announced enormous fines of radioactive waste and nuclear reactors in the Arctic seas. This is a K-27 nuclear submarine which was sunk by the Soviet Navy in 1981 for disposal. Sunk it at sea, reactor and all, uh, poses a possible risk of exploding beneath the sea. The submarine was not amongst radioactive hazards catalogued by the Russian authorities. This is enormous quantities of the decommissioned Russian nuclear reactors and radioactive waste were dumped into the Kara Sea in the Arctic Ocean north of Siberia over a couple of decades, according to documents given to Norwegian officials by Russian authorities and published Norwegian media. It says Bellona had received in 2000 a draft of similar reports prepared for Russian Gosoviet, the State Council for Presentation at a meeting presided over by then-President Dmitry Medvedev on Russian environmental security. Russian State Nuclear Corporation, Rasatom, uh, confirmed the figures in February this year during a seminar jointly held with Bellona in Moscow. So they've been dumping stuff at sea. Another article says the same thing. Um, government dumping of nuclear waste still poses a threat decades later. They've been covering this up for 50 years, and it's only starting to come out now. It's been dumping, dumping, dumping. It says the government... Uh, also covered up dumping of nuclear waste in the ocean, as International Atomic Energy Agency notice, notes. 13 countries used ocean dumping to dispose of radioactive waste between 1946 and 1993. Since 1993, ocean disposal has been banned by agreement through a number of, of international treaties and tells you what the treaties are. According to the United Nations, some companies have been dumping radioactive waste and other hazardous materials in the coastal waters of Somalia well after the treaties were signed, taking advantage of the fact that the country has no functioning government from the early 1990s onwards. has caused local health problems in the coastal regions and poses significant danger to Somalia's fishing industry and marine life. Because through all the countries that are doing it, the U.S., and how much terror bickerels, etc., the U.S. has dumped, and other countries as well. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back cutting into the meat. He's talking about all this nuclear radiation that's dumped at sea in containers and everything else. Out of sight, out of mind, they say. Eh? And it says here that... Um, this is stuff that's just recently been disclosed of what, who's been doing what. It says 137 by 10 cubic tons were dumped by eight European countries into the water. USA did not report tonnage nor the volume of 300, of 34,282 containers which they dumped into the sea, radioactive. It was into the Pacific Ocean, USSR, how much they put in, Japan, what they put in, New Zealand as well, and an unknown figure by South Korea. Uh, South Korea, by the way, has got massive, they've always had the highest thyroid cancer rate in the whole region, because they eat a lot of seafood. <laughs> and it says, uh, Sea of Japan, USSR jumped, dumped, uh, uh, 7,449 terabicarols in the Sea of Japan, and then Japan dumped more, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so Russia's admitted it dumped 19 radioactive ships plus 14 nuclear reactors, some of them containing visible material, into the ocean. The catalogue of waste dumped at sea by the Soviets, according to documents seen by Bellona, and which were 
today released by the Norwegian Daily, Afton Posten includes some 17,000 containers of radioactive waste, 19 ships containing radioactive waste, 14 nuclear reactors, including five that still contain spent nuclear fuel, 735 other pieces of radioactively contaminated heavy machinery, and their K-27 nuclear submarine with its two reactors loaded with nuclear fuel. Per the Norwegian Radiation Protection Authority told Afton Posten that information on the radioactive waste had come from the Russian authorities gradually. No one can guarantee that this outline we have received is complete, he said. He added that Russia has set up a special commission to undertake the task of mapping the waste, the paper uh, reported. So they can always map it like they don't know where it is, eh? <laughs> so it goes on and on. Also tonight, too, I'll put up an article, The Demise of the Australian Way of Life. It's called How the Rights Have All Been Taken Away From Them. And another one to do with tracking school children with RFID tags. And it says it's all about the Benjamins because the U.S. Department of Agriculture mandates radio frequency identification device chips to monitor livestock. And a Texas school district has just been implanting the devices and students' identification cards to monitor pupils' movements on campus and track them as they come and go from school. Because we're all livestock, you see, we're being farmed. I'll put that up too tonight. Also, uh, cyber clues link U.S. to new computer viruses. More on the recent viruses that have come out. There's a third one now. U.S. Israel often is involved in these things. Uh, U.S. aid mission, again, in Russia to close following Moscow decision. U.S. aid, again, is, is, a, is a front uh, for the intelligence agencies to disrupt the countries across the world. Uh, like all these color revolutions, they fund them. They fund the NGOs, and Russia has seen what's happened elsewhere, and they're, they're kicking them all out. Good luck to them, because uh, it's war by any other means, isn't it? It's just another form of war here, warfare. White House Big Dip remains a mystery as construction wraps up. They've built something else under the White House. It says that the big reveal is proving to be a pretty let, big letdown. After two years and $86 million worth of noisy, disruptive construction, the West Wing has emerged from its visceral seclusion remarkably unchanged. And deep underground, whatever it has been built, there remains shrouded in mystery. I'll put that up as well. And also the Roundup Ready independent study to do with cancers and uh, it's kind of a massive attack already by all the top scientists working for the GM boys because of the type of rats that they use. Oh, they're prone to cancers. They're prone to, well, so are we all, apparently, prone to cancers, if you see it skyrocketing. From, sorry to rush tonight, folks, but there's just so much to cover. From Hamish and myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your God's go with you. <laughs>